Hi, I'm Allie Weiss. And the last time I prayed was when I was getting a Brazilian wax last week. If you don't pray when you're getting a Brazilian wax, something is wrong with you. You're dead inside. Hi, Jess. Hi, JC. How are you? I'm good. I have a really funny story for you. And Let's I want to jump know your right opinion. in. Okay. So, my old roommate is not Jewish. She is single, though. And I had those are non sequitur <laughs> statements. <laughs> okay. So, I had a like, referral pass for her for the Locks Club, which, okay. for those of you who don't know, is a dating app for picky Jewish people. But you don't have to be Jewish to use the app. So I sent it to her and she was talking to this guy and they were going back and forth and they were texting and they had a really good conversation. And then they, I think they had FaceTimed and then they were planning to meet in real life to go on like an actual date. And mm-hmm. then he asked her, oh, she said, just so you know, I'm not Jewish. And he was like, well, I don't want to go on a date with you then. What do you think of that? Okay. I have a lot of thoughts. I think that it's obnoxious of him to say he doesn't want to go on a date with her just because she isn't Jewish once they've already been vibing. That being Mm -hmm. said, being on a Jewish dating app is misleading. Like, of course, there are no rules that say you simply have to be Jewish because that would be... What's the word I'm looking for? I don't know if that's legal. I I don't think that's... I mean, I'm sure... I mean, I don't know if it's illegal, but it's definitely not morally sound to create an app where you're not allowed to use it if you're a different race. It's it's (laughs) it's <laughs> it's prejudice. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I do yeah. see both sides, but I think once you're vibing with someone, like, you can't even meet up with them for a date. So is that him saying, like, you're definitely the... Whoever I meet on this app is someone that I definitely want to marry? Like, I don't know. I think you have to give people a chance. Um, but again, at the same time, kind of weird for her to be on that app. So I'm actually blaming you a little bit. <laughs> That's my fault. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that you could mark somewhere that you're Jewish or Christian or Catholic or whatever the fuck. But I guess you can't do that on that app because they just assume everyone's Jewish. But in that New York Times article about the app, the founder says you don't have to be Jewish to be on the app. If anything, well, of I course he has to say to that. Well, yeah. I don't think it's helping that they say their tagline is this is a dating app for picky Jews with high standards or whatever it is. Like that's not, Is that actually what the tagline is? I think it's a little more smooth. Oh my God, that's so disturbing actually. And I don't like that at all. Um, I'm like a little skeeved. I'm actually in this group called Meet Jew University on Facebook. Oh. Which is a dating like Facebook group for college students who are Jewish. And the only reason I'm in this group is because I wanted to promote our podcast. <laughs> so I had <laughs> a college student add me and then I posted our podcast. But I still get notifications from this group. And a lot of people always say that they would never date a non-Jew. And a lot of people like shit on non-Jews in the group. Like they'll like, you know, point out people's gross tattoos on other dating websites and stuff. And it's actually kind of hateful and Makes me a little upset. I had no idea that you were part of that community. I thought you were going to say it's like a backup. <laughs> I am not. <laughs> you were trying to I'm certainly not part of the community. I got in to get in and get out, and I stuck around because 
there's some juicy posts, but certainly not part of the community. I think it's fine to decide, look, I would prefer to date Jews, but to completely discount any other type of person, I think you're depriving yourself of part of the problem. Actually really great. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, also, you don't have to hate on other religions or races or communities just because you don't want to date that those people. Like, that's not necessary. Exactly. Um, everyone has a personal preference, but it doesn't make it okay to enter a Facebook group and be like, fuck the Buddhists or whatever. That just doesn't make sense to me. Anyone who doesn't like Buddhists needs to reevaluate their life. Anyone who doesn't like anyone because they're a religion needs to reevaluate their lives, except for if we're talking about Scientology and Scientologists. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, anywho, this episode is still, still, still. I do know it's Passover. However, next week it won't be Passover. And we are still sponsored by Hala Dolly. So if you're interested in buying yeah, some post Passover gourmet halas, you could go to haladali.com and enter Pray for Us, P R A Y F O R Us at checkout for a adorable 18% off. And that's uh, holodolly.com. Enter pray for us at checkout for 18% off. L'chaim, hoes. I just want to say, so as I was editing this episode, I realized we talked about something that we haven't really discussed before, which is privilege. Because we had Allie Weiss on the show and she is from New York City and an affluent family. And she sort of talks about the connotations and responsibilities of being part of that group. And I thought it was a really fascinating conversation. Look, I'm not saying like, oh, let's make sure we give privileged people more attention and a platform, but I do think that she uses her platform well. Well, we hope you guys enjoy the episode. Don't forget to check out holadolly.com. Get yourself a holla. You deserve it. I mean, we're already talking about it. We can just, honestly, let's just keep talking. We can if you want. We can just, yeah. We'll just like bring Allie in and then we'll do our formal intro later okay. off the record. Is that cool? Oh, whatever you guys want to do. Like, I'm chilling. Okay. I'm, I'm here and I'm sorry that I'm such a blabbermouth. But like, no, literally, that's why chill. we wanted to talk to Yeah, you. we just want to okay. <laughs> That being said, Amazing. we want to formally welcome you to the podcast, Allie. It is very yes. nice to have you here. I feel Happy like to be here. you have carved out a really interesting space like in podcasting. Your podcast, Health as Hell, is almost like towing the line between like comedy, like serious reporting and like great interviews. Like, and you have like a very interactive audience, which I, so I commend you. I feel like that's really cool. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Like curtsy, curtsy. curtsy. Thank you. But it is really hard to like carve out a space in for yourself in podcasting so like on social media and like translating that into a real career but I just think like do you guys think it's because the market is so saturated or from where I stand and I say this to anybody who's interested in starting a podcast which seems to be everybody mm -hmm. and their great great grandmother in the face of the pandemic building an audience takes a really long time mm -hmm. and because Instagram is such a highlight reel people forget it's very easy to delete old posts. Mm -hmm. They forget it's easy to delete like episodes that were messy or like didn't do well. I've personally had so much trial and error with the types of content that I've put online. But I, I think that 
for as much as there is so much posturing happening and people trying to make themselves look like more successful than they actually are on the flip side, if you make content that is good and that is created with like a particular demographic in mind, they will come. Mm -hmm. And despite the fact that the, not the audience, the, uh, the the field is so saturated. I when you think about how much content is just like subpar, like and just like the same as every other like white woman in the podcasting game. I just feel like if you do something that's slightly different or takes an angle that's like slightly left of center, people will find you without that much effort. Just because like we're all looking for connection and people who seem like they might understand us. For sure. Well, I'm not gonna like. <laughs> dive into a uh, entire shitting of other women's podcasts because that's not why we're here. But no, that's <laughs> we so can true. totally do that <laughs> if you want to. I'm no. here for it. <laughs> but it's just interesting to me because, like, there are so many podcasts, obviously, and so many podcasts out there hosted by white women that are truly exactly the same, mm-hmm. and they all have like a decent amount of following or followers. And I guess it's just about what guys. I don't know what I'm trying to say. I think if you're talking about sex and dating, you already like have a leg up. People are like so thirsty for that. Certain types of people are. I mean, how many podcasts are there like women in their late 20s, early 30s talking about sex and they're all having the same conversations and they're having the same guests on and they're all making a lot of money too. I mean, my problem is that like half of those aren't even entertaining or funny. Like I I mean, personally, I'm a comedy fan. I'm a comedy nerd, obviously, but like when I listen to those types of shows, like I want to hear Nikki Glaser. I want to hear like Rachel Feinstein. I want to hear women who have a funny take on these topics, not just like women being like, oh yeah, like, so like I fucked this guy. Mm -hmm. Like, why would you want to listen to that? Right. That's the thing is like, if you want to listen to that conversation, go to your local Soho house and like sit at the bar. (laughs) Like, you know, it's just like, why are you wasting like an hour of your precious time of your morning routine? Like, you know, read the fucking New York Times. Am I allowed to curse on your podcast? Oh my God, yes. Say whatever the fuck you want, I have such (laughs) love, love that attitude. I have such a chucker mouth. It's a huge problem. (laughs) Me too. Um, But you you know what I think it is? I, I think that, First of all, like you said, everyone is so thirsty, especially in the face of the pandemic. Like we're all so sex starved. Mm -hmm. And America is also really unique in the sense that like everything is sex. The porn industry, Hollywood, commercials, advertising. And yet on the flip side of that, we're a country that's entirely run by religion. So we're simultaneously told, don't have sex or a slut. Mm-hmm. Or like, you know, you don't, you don't, you want you want to wait X amount of dates to like before you have sex with somebody. It's right. like it's so contradictory and it just like turns everyone into a tailspin. And that's why the sex toy industry is a multi-billion dollar industry Mm -hmm. because we're all afraid to like go out and make actual connections, but we all have (laughs) 17 vibrators. And so I think with that, there's this desire to, I personally don't, but I can understand why a certain genre of female listener would want to listen to a show where it seems like the host is just like them. Mm -hmm. Because if you're listening to somebody who's just like them, versus like a famous comedian who might not be getting laid, but is super rich. You're like, okay, like I'm not the only person in my like demographic who's like sex starved. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think that there's that like relatability factor. And I also think people are just like too in their heads and too starved for like connection and being seen to pull back and realize like, yo, this shit is boring. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, it might be like relatable, but like, what? Like, I've heard this a thousand times before. Yeah. I think the relatability factor actually 
turns me off, but maybe I'm just like a weird, strange no, I, brand I of that. like psychotic that. because if, if I want to have a relatable conversation or exactly listen to something relatable, I will call my friends. Like, right. I want to hear something that I can't attain. I want to, like, I don't want to be jealous of women who are getting famous from their podcast talking about the shit that I talk about with my friends. <laughs> I think it is a jealousy thing. <laughs> and they're not experts and they aren't necessarily doling out advice that's accurate or correct or safe or whatever. Yeah. But I do think like, I'm curious to know, this is something JC and I have talked about with each other because this is a podcast about Judaism. Do you feel like Jews are like hornier than other religions? <laughs> yeah, 100%, man. I just, I'm like actually screaming. I like, I'm so happy that you, so happy that you brought this up because like, it is just not to throw literally all of us under the bus in front of our mothers, who I hope just are not listening. Um, but <laughs> Jewish girls give the best head, period. <laughs> Why is that? Jewish girls are the craziest bitches on the planet. And like, I think Jewish girls, like, here's the thing. When you compare, like, I'm just going to make rash, inappropriate generalizations. When you compare, like, a Jap to a wasp, like, the biggest difference between, like, a Jappy family and a waspy family is that in a Jappy family, like, all the feelings are out on the table. Exactly. You're angry about something, everybody knows. You're upset about something, everybody knows. Like, and then we, we also grow up in these homes where, for the most part, women are cracking the whip. Even if women aren't, like, the primary, like, money earners, they're like calling the shots in terms of just like bossing their husbands around. And so as opposed to like in a waspy family where all the problems are kind of like shoved under the rug and then drowned in vodka, very like <laughs> male dominated household. When you think about the differences between those two, those two types of upbringings and you think about how that affects the mind of a Jewish woman, and then you're like, okay, you need to be kind of like uninhibited and like comfortable with yourself to like really <laughs> it makes sense as to why point A leads to point B. Thank you. That is my TED talk. <laughs> that was beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. I'm here all week. I mean, it's so true. I was just going to say like, and I think there's also something to be said for like when you're growing up, especially if you're around like Christians or Catholics who observe like pretty staunch values. Mm -hmm. Like I think Jews, when presented with like, those types of people would want to like get a leg like, up on that almost and like take advantage that they weren't taught like they aren't supposed to have sex before marriage or they're they're taught to be more free I think a little bit like just in terms of like a not conservative what's the word I'm looking for like reform Christianity versus reform Judaism mm -hmm. like reform Christians are still taught to not have sex before yeah. marriage mm -hmm. Jews really aren't so except I think, like orthodox Jews but that's that's, that's, that's what I'm saying so like I feel like growing up as like a 14 year old Jew versus like a 14 year old Catholic girl, mm -hmm. the Jews would want to be like, Oh, like I can, <laughs> I want, I want to leg up on that blonde girl. Right. So like, I'm going to do what I have to do. I also think sleepaway camp plays a, well, yeah. and youth groups play a big role in yeah. it because it's like you send your kids off to camp for what a month, two months in the middle of puberty unsupervised relatively. And all the counselors are hooking up with each other too. It's like, what do you think is going to happen? Whereas at Christian camp or, I don't know, like Muslim camp, I don't necessarily think that that's happening. No, definitely not. And then also, like, there is this association between, like, expensive sleepaway camps and, like, who can afford expensive sleepaway camps. Mm -hmm. And 90% of the population of an expensive sleepaway camp is Jewish. Right. And then also, guys, don't forget the whole, like, 
bat mitzvah, bar mitzvah season thing mm-hmm. yeah. where like you are encouraged to like buy slutty, glittery outfits to attend your friend's bar mitzvah, <laughs> bat mitzvah. Those grind trains where it's like dozens oh of you just like oh rubbing up on each other. The music that like we grew up with during that time, which was all like Akon singing like, I want to fuck you. Like it, there was just, it is this weird thing where like in certain ways, you know, Jews carry a lot of guilt. And like, I think a a lot of our relatives, ancestors Mm -hmm. have like chips on their shoulders because of things that happened in our history. But Mm -hmm. ultimately, we're not, we're not raised if you are reform or even, you know, conservative in a social sense, you're not really raised to keep things inside. In fact, a lot of Jews have a reputation of being very gaudy and -hmm. very like big and very outlandish. Mm -hmm. And so I think that with all the uh, money spending and the designer clothes comes um, a healthy sexual appetite. Right. You know, it's like, we're told that eating seafood and dairy together is going to send you straight to hell, but like sucking a dick (laughs) at sleepaway camp (laughs) is going to get you a husband and that's going to send you straight to heaven. So it's like, that's an interesting, also an interesting way to to grow up. Metaphorical (laughs) heaven and hell, obviously, because yeah, duh. Hell's not real. And yeah, seafood and dairy is fully a go. BCW. <laughs> Lox and cream Wait, cheese. Wait, is work. it? What? Lox and cream cheese? Are you joking? Is that kosher Wait, though? You're not so- Yes, it's kosher. The only, it's, you can't do meat and dairy, but fish isn't meat. Huh. Oh, oh my God. That goes to show what a terrible <laughs> religious Jew I am. Like no, literally. The I'm only so reason I know this that. is because we discussed it on another podcast and I was very confused yeah, about it. That's a good and point. It, w- it was clarified okay, for us. Now that you mentioned lox and cream cheese, I will say something. I think part of the reason why I was also not able to make that connection is because I am the only person I know, not even the only Jewish person, I know the only person I know, period, who hates cream cheese. Really? I know a lot of people who don't like cream cheese. What another Jewish person who eats their bagels without cream cheese? What do you eat with Actually, your bagel? avocado or like okay. a tomato and then like put the smoked salmon on that or I'll literally just eat like a dry ass bagel with some smoked salmon on it like I'm pathetic are you lactose intolerant or you just don't like it no cream cheese just really scares me like something about cream cheese like the smell the texture the taste like I'm really not weird about food but for whatever reason, when people are eating cream cheese near me, which is like my entire extended family all the time, <laughs> I'm like, y'all need to sit on the other side of the table. Like, I, can't, <laughs> I can't rock with this. So that's my excuse for botching the seafood and dairy. Listen, I'm go. here for it. But what is your take on cheesecake? Hate it. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Too much dairy. I'm Not awful. Crust. To, to, exactly. Like, also, I. you know what? Like, the, the Italian one that has, like, ricotta. Oh, I, I hate it. I'm the opposite. I can rock with that. The one that's just like a pound of like temp tea cream Mm, cheese. It's like New York style. (laughs) I'm like, (laughs) I like that's not, not doing it for me. Wait, where are you from and where are you right now? I'm from Greenwich Village and I'm in Greenwich Village. Okay. And you're never leaving Greenwich Village. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I probably should (laughs) for my sanity. Um, no, I think I'm going to do a little stint in Brooklyn, which okay. is just like the thing to do oh my God, when you're in safe. New York. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> I know. It's dangerous out there. Um, but no, I'm, I definitely think that like, while I'm still in my twenties, I want the experience of living in Brooklyn, even if it's just for a couple months, because it really is like being in a whole different city. And then in terms of living in Manhattan, I, I wouldn't go far 
when I'm still young, but I do think that I'm going to move to like Alphabet City in a little bit. My best friend lives on FB. So I think that I'm just, and that's like what, 10 blocks away from where I'm Yeah, like you're pretty close. (laughs) Fleeing the nest is like something that we all have like a hard time doing. Even if we like move away from our families, there's like always that connection. And like, I, for me, I, I would be happy living in like another place entirely, like another state, another country, no problem. But if I'm in New York, it would feel weird for me, like for a long time to live too far away from my family, considering how much time I currently spend with them. That makes sense. Are you, do you live with them now? Currently? Yeah. Pandemic vibes. Mm -hmm. How has that, how has that been being inside with them? Oh my God, this episode has a limited amount of time and not enough time to contain all the stories about living in the same space with my family. It's just like, I, I, I love them. I love them so much. And I will say that like all of their neuroses and their mishigas, as we say, all of their bullshit, like I have to sweep that aside because my parents have been so unfailingly supportive of this extremely like weird career path that I've taken. And they, they were supportive of me getting a degree in theater who does that? Then they were supportive of me having this like weird career of, as you say, kind of being like a half comedian, half journalist, like whatever. So, you know, my parents are big personalities. Even my dog has a huge personality, but, um, I just, I really am. I got very lucky because I don't have the type of Jewish parents who are like, you need to be a lawyer. You need to be a doctor. You need to make money. You need to find a husband. Like all of that is just like a no because they kind of grew up like that. And so I was going to say, I feel like that kind of skips a generation. Like, yeah, I feel like a lot. I mean, I guess we're about the same age and a lot of our parents were more like, follow your dreams, like do what you got to do. And that's kind of why we're all basket cases, which is fine. It is what it is. I'd rather have that than be a doctor, be a lawyer. But then I'm wondering like, if we have kids, are we going to be like, follow your dreams? Or are we going to be like, be a doctor, be a lawyer? I think that my parents may have gone a little bit too far in the direction of like, whatever you want, whatever you want, whatever you want. And that's and actually, they were not like that when I was in high school. My parents were like helicopter as fuck when I was in school. Mine too. And we're just like obsessed with like knowing where are you? I need a parent's phone number. Like you can't have a sleepover because like you have homework. Like my parents were, when I was younger, very obsessed, especially my dad who grew up in the city and was like a very like urban dude getting into like a lot of trouble. Like he he's always been very invested when I was younger and trying to prevent me from making the same mistakes that he did, as he says. But then I think what happened is like I rebelled so so strongly against that. And it had like a really bad toll on my anxiety and my like, um, kind of obsession with like perfection, which, um, my parents both have, and they like really pushed it onto me. But like my parents took that type A-ness and turned it into like a very successful business. Whereas like, it just made me crumble under the weight of my own anxiety. And like, now I've been in therapy for like a bajillion years. So I think that when I became an adult post-college, my parents were like a little too like anything goes. And I think that when it comes to my own kids, I'm so far away from this, but when it comes to my own kids, I will, I will say that in terms of like, what you want to do for work, what you're passionate about, who you want to be with, like literally anything goes, but I probably will enforce just like a little bit more structure so that if I have a kid who's like me with just like a full artist brain, they won't like completely kind of diverge the way that I did. Cause I look back, I'm 27 now. I look back on 
the majority of my 20s and like so much of it is just like a (laughs) fucking blur it really is oh I mean I was not on the linear path I think that's like pretty standard especially for our generation and Mm -hmm. in the arts like I came out to LA and I have how many jobs have I had in LA so far like seven and I've only been here six years like it's chaotic I feel like we are so in need of instant gratification that like, if one thing isn't going our way, I'm like, I'm going to quit and do something else. Um, which isn't a great trait, but I, I mean, it got me to a happy place now. I I really think like if you put in the work, not just professionally, but like physically, mentally, eventually you will get to where you want to be and like, you will figure it out. But it does feel like your twenties are so meandering And you're like, what am I doing? And is this going to get me to where I want to be? And where do I actually want to be? And just now I'm 28. Is that all starting to like come together for me? But I do feel this anxiety. Like, I don't know if it's like a Jewish anxiety or what of feeling like I'm not doing enough. I'm not making enough and I'm not far enough along in my life. Like I'm not where I thought I would be at this age. I, I don't know if that's like because of my parents or because of my religion and my like DNA or if it's just like because of like I'm a product of my surroundings I don't know I need to talk to a therapist (laughs) (laughs) I've talked about this with my therapist extensively I it's funny like the pandemic really changed Mm -hmm. my way of thinking about that and like at this point I know it's so passe to talk about things Mm -hmm. like coronavirus or pandemic related but like I think that this is kind of important like I really think that the biggest lesson to be taken away from this past year has been that like the concept of a five-year plan is utterly ridiculous. It's a good idea to have a sense of what you want to be doing, where you'd like to go and how you're going to get there. But this whole idea of like, all right, by X age, I want to be married. By X age, I want to have a kid. By X age, I want to have X, Y, and Z award, this much money in the bank, whatever it is. Think about this time last year we were like a week away from the entire mm-hmm. world shutting down and we had like no idea yeah. what was about to happen. <laughs> and then no idea. And then even when we first went into lockdown, everyone was like, oh, this is basically going to be like a paid mm-hmm. two-week vacation. And then like everything's going to go back to normal. And then the next thing you know, like the world yeah. explodes. Um, and I just, at least for me, I really was forced to take a step back and evaluate like, why am I so obsessed with this schedule mm-hmm. for my life that I've put together? Now, personally, I you know, there is this pressure because Hollywood very much emphasizes um, youth and beauty, which like often mm-hmm. go hand in hand. There's this massive emphasis on like getting famous in your 20s, being celebrated in your 20s, 30 under mm-hmm. 30, whatever it is. But even before the pandemic, I think we started to see this amazing shift where like Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who wrote Fleabag, like iconic on another level and she didn't become big until she was like well in her 30s Sharon Stone the actress did not become like a worldwide phenomenon sex pot in casino until Mm -hmm. she was in her 30s basic instincts like I that obviously was a while back but I I really do think that like the Phoebe Waller Bridges and like the Issa Rays really shifted the landscape and kind of also showed us that like if you don't spend your 20s getting really messy what kind of material are you going to mm-hmm. have to write about as right. a creative person? So I obviously don't want to make this like unrelatable for people who aren't actors or writers or whatever, but I, I do think that the valuable lesson to be learned in the face of the pandemic is like, 
why, Mm -hmm. why, why were we so obsessed with this, with this idea that like age marks either like the beginning or the end of what we are Mm -hmm. able to accomplish? Because that's ridiculous. Do you feel a lot of pressure from your parents to check certain boxes by a certain time? Yeah, no, I don't feel pressure to check those boxes schedule wise. I think that the biggest issue I've had with my parents over the years is like I mentioned, my parents are like Mm -hmm. ultra perfectionists and my parents have always said to me, you know, you can do whatever you want in life, but like you have to be really, really, Mm -hmm. really good at it. And like, it's not so much that they've looked me in the eye and they're like, if you're not perfect, (laughs) like it's over. But like, you know, it's just, it's implied by like their actions, the way that they carry themselves, conversations that we've had over the years. And again, most of this was when I was younger. But the stuff that happens to you in middle and high school, like shapes you for the rest of your life, which is so <laughs> tragic. And those times are that like psychologically, we can never, never get over shit that like we are just dying to leave in the past. But I think that, um, no, I don't, I don't have that kind of pressure from them, but there is definitely this pressure of like, you got to be fucking exceptional right. at something, you know, like you, you really need to be like top of the class mm-hmm. at something, even if that's you know, needle <laughs> point or like making pierogies or like, let's say I had some like random <laughs> passion, they would be down with it. But like, I would have to be really amazing. And so something that I've been working with in my own therapy process is like, it takes a lot of time and a lot of work to achieve greatness. You're not just like automatically mm-hmm. great. Oh yeah. And that's something that seems really basic, but that I've struggled with mm-hmm. for a lot of years. Do you have siblings? Yes, I do. I have a 22-year-old brother. I was going to say, are you the oldest? You seem like the oldest. <laughs> yes. My, I have a younger brother. Amazing. Um, I know, my brother's 21, but he'll be he'll be 22 this year. Same um, vibe. Same, same vibe. Space. Same yeah. big age difference. Do your parents have that same attitude when it comes to your brother, or is it just you? My brother gets away with absolute <laughs> murder. Yeah. Like, I went through the ringer with my parents growing up and, you know, in their defense, I was a lot to parent. I've looked like this since I was like 12. (laughs) So obviously like I was in the clubs, I was doing drugs. Greenhouse. (laughs) Oh my God. Like we could do an entire episode just about like the NYC club (laughs) scene in like the mid 2000s, late Mm -hmm. 2000s, something 2010s. Um, But I... Yeah, no, I make fun of him all the time. And also low-key, I'm like hostile about the fact that like my brother just has complete second child syndrome. Like he is so the baby of the family. Like he just, whatever the fuck he wants, like goes. My mom is just like, you know, this summer, there was one time where he like woke up really late and like walked down the stairs in our like country house. And she was just like, good morning, honey. Like, what do you want me to make you for breakfast? Like, do you want truffled eggs? I'm hallucinating. I was like, am I hallucinating right now? If I ever asked my mom to make me something, she'd be like, make it your fucking self. Like, you know, it's just like it's like the biggest difference between the two of us. I think part of that is also that my brother is a boy mm-hmm. and the whole mommy's boy. I was just going to say that the Jewish mom son thing is like, <laughs> it's something else. It really is. It's so, so deeply unfair. I feel like Jewish moms and daughters are like, can be very hostile and very like competitive almost. And then Jewish moms and sons is like, just like cradling until mm-hmm. they're yeah. like in the cradles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My boyfriend and I went back uh, to New York. My parents live in Westchester 
and we stayed with them for like a few weeks and my brother was home and my boyfriend was like, oh my God, your mom <laughs> babies your brother so much. And I was like, oh, it's a Jewish thing. I know. Everyone notices when they come into my home, everybody notices. Like I had a friend who was living, she's always been like very close to my family, but she was living with us for essentially like eight months during like hardcore lockdown. And she was like, I didn't realize like how severe this pampering situation was. She was like, and then she got comfortable enough with my brother that she started making fun of him. But she was just like, it's, it's a different dynamic. I think my brother will pretend to like not know how to do things so that my parents do it for him. I grew up in a household with three girls and I'm the youngest. And I feel like I was not babied at all. I'm sure if my sisters were on here, they'd be like, bitch, shut up. Yes, you were. But I truly feel like the dynamic in our house was more like, oh, you're the third girl. We've done this before. You know how this works. Like, figure it out yourself. Or like, I definitely was like making my own lunches. I was like making sure my schedule was like all organized, like folding my laundry. There was like no babying. And I I do wonder maybe if we had a boy in the family or if I was a boy like how that would be different. But I felt like I was treated like an adult. I felt like we had access to a lot of information. We were part of a lot of adult conversations. We were expected to like be responsible for ourselves. Yeah. So it's interesting. The first thing that came to mind was that my best friend, um, the one I was telling you about who lives in the East Village, she is the youngest of three siblings. They're not Jewish. I mean, they're not Mm -hmm. religious like at all. They're very atheist. But She's the youngest of three siblings and had the exact Mm -hmm. same experience. Like her parents did not even take her to college and she went from New Jersey (laughs) to California. Like they were so, so hands off with her. And like her dad traveled a lot when she was young. And like they always had a very like loving relationship. But it's exactly as you said, it was, they were like of the mentality that this Mm -hmm. has been done before. Like you've seen your siblings grow up, you know, the ropes, Mm -hmm. make it happen. And I think that's different because, you know, you have the lack of, of Judaism there. But I definitely think, I mean, even just watching, so they're, they're, the mom's mm-hmm. Italian and the middle sibling is a brother and the mom is obsessed with the brother, <laughs> even though he's not the youngest, she's obsessed with the brother. And like this woman, her mom is like a tough ass bitch, but she completely melts when it comes to my friend's brother. So I think that having a it's the mom and son Mm -hmm. dynamic that like I think is is always going to be a thing but I also think that when you're in a Jewish family there's like the whole concept of the mom very much being even if it's just kind of like spiritually psychologically like Mm -hmm. the head of the household and with that kind of being like the nurturer so when you have like the boy of the family also being the youngest one it just like explodes into just this like (laughs) new level of like of like right smother it's also i mean again classic conversation but italians and jews very very similar. similar very similar yeah, I am one. I am. <laughs> I am. Jason's like, I'm just going to say it. I'll admit it. <laughs> I'm just going to say it. I am both. And Amazing. Yeah. You're very lucky. Very lucky. Very hairy. <laughs> um, great complexion. So yeah. pros and cons. But, it um, doesn't even matter that you're hairy because you get so, yeah, tan. so tan. Literally so tan. so tan. You're in the sun for one second and you're just this like perfect shade of golden brown. Like I can sit in the sun for 10 hours straight and I'm just like <laughs> yellow. Like you can tell like the, the undertone of my skin is like, I'm, I'm very like olive like yellow. And you just, know like, what? It's I don't, nice. It's a nice thank tone. You, for you have a good being supportive. <laughs> you're welcome. But, like, 
My undertones are very red. So like it could go, I, I don't get sunburnt, but like if I get very hot or very flushed, I look like a tomato. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but you also no. get crisp. In you the do sun, get yeah, dark. Something that bacon. I will always be so jealous. I of. do get dark. This is like the palest I've been in probably two years. Which is mental. Cause like, look at your screen and then like, look at mine. <laughs> I'm translucent. Okay, I'm literally translucent and you just like have this beautiful glow. And I, I also think that the most glamorous thing in the world is when you see those pictures of like the old Italians whose skin yeah. is just like leather. Been <laughs> and they don't give a fuck. For so many years. And like, they don't give a fuck and they're just like chain smoking and like drinking their wine and their skin is like, ugh, like it just like looks terrible. But I'm like, that's a person who's lived like a really enjoyable life. It's like right? a life With of luxury. Like, it is life of luxury, very like Versace energy of just like a little gold chain, a cig, <laughs> and like leathered skin. That's where I would like to be. But at that point, like my skin's not going to be leathered in brown. It's going to be leathered in yellow, which is not nearly as glamorous, though, unfortunately. Um, but Ali, where's your country house? West Hampton. Oh, okay. So it's a Hamptons yeah. house. <laughs> it's a Hamptons house. Yeah. I was actually having this conversation with somebody the other day who we were texting and I was like, oh, what are you up to? He's like, I'm at my parents' house in Long Island. And it <laughs> occurred to me, I was like, I've used this before. I was like, when you really don't want to just seem like a bitch, you're like, you don't go like, oh yeah, I'm in the Hamptons. You're like, oh yeah, like I'm in Long Island. And so I confronted him about it. I was like, are you telling me you're in Long Island, but you're actually in the Hamptons? And he was like, yes, but I'm in Hampton Bays. <laughs> I was like, that doesn't make it any better. Like like being, I went to college in New Haven. Like, bitch, you went to Yale or like whatever. Uh, yeah, I went in Boston. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's like, oh my God. <laughs> right, right. Exactly, exactly. So yeah, I was I was trying to be um, tasteful, but gotcha. that's kind of ironic because I earlier on gave you guys like a huge spiel about how just like Jews are not tasteful for the most part. So you know what? Like let's lean in. Yeah. My parents' house is, is in the Hamptons. And so my brother descended the staircase in my parents' Hamptons house and then asked for uh, there it is. eggs and received them. It's like the, <laughs> There's your beginning of Shit's Creek. <laughs> Do you ever feel shame or like Jewish guilt for having these things or like living this certain type of life? Or are you like, this is the deck that I was dealt and I'm just going to embrace it and like make the best of it. Yeah. It's really interesting that you bring that up because actually this question and those feelings, um, impact a lot of mm -hmm. my work or at least have impacted a lot of my work over the past couple of years. So the first thing is when I started giving myself a public platform and I started just kind of being open about things and like running mm -hmm. my mouth, being very opinionated. I was like, I need to cop to my background because otherwise somebody right. else is going to. If I'm not the one who's like, I grew up wealthy. I went to private school. I'm from Manhattan. My parents have a house in the Hamptons. Like if I'm not the one to say this shit, especially now in this current climate, people are so quick to just be like, oh, privilege that like, I knew that if I wasn't two steps ahead, that like I would get mm -hmm. wrecked for it. But beyond that, and like kind of trying to save my own ass, the underline of all my work has been that like I grew up with quite literally like every privilege and every resource available to me. And I have still suffered from depression for mm -hmm. like 20 years. Like that has been like the definition of my life is having everything, having everything I can want from an education 
my parents are married. They still love each other. I grew up in the greatest <laughs> city in the world. I look a certain way. Like, I mean, it's like check, 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 check. And yet like there have still been many parts of my life where I've been suicidal. And, you know, some of that is genetic. Some of it is like more money, more problems. It's like a mm-hmm. very real thing. But I am also not, I, I do feel a sense of guilt sometimes because of the hand that I've been dealt, but I also see it as a blessing because it is an opportunity for me to take a stance that we don't see very many affluent people taking, which is like money does not buy mm-hmm. happiness, especially in the social media age where we're only seeing people posting their vacations and their Pilates honed bodies and, you know, the lobster that they're eating and the houses in the Hamptons. Like you only see that highlight reel. It's very easy to become envious. But for me, rather than showing that lifestyle, I would rather talk about, you know, the privileges Mm -hmm. that I've been given, but then really emphasize that like, I've really fucking Mm -hmm. struggled emotionally. And more than that, have been the only person in my immediate family to struggle. I don't come from parents who understand what it's like to have Mm -hmm. mental health issues. It took us years to get to this point and so much therapy, and which is actually wild because when you examine both of my parents' histories in their own families, like mental health issues are everywhere, like completely widespread. It just used to be so suppressed and no one talked about it. Like Like, there's nothing wrong with your brain. This is how everyone feels. Exactly. And it's actually, that's a good point because I was talking about how wasps push everything under the rug and Jews don't. This is a thing that Jews actually do push under the rug is the concept Mm -hmm. of like problems. And I think that that comes from like the guilt of like being the original slaves and, you know, like Mm -hmm. Nazis and like all of this stuff where like everybody hates us. And it's just kind of like, you know, everyone's miserable. Get the fuck Mm -hmm. over yourself. Everyone's miserable. And to some extent, everyone is miserable. I I have absolutely grappled with feelings of just like not only guilt over what I have, but guilt over having all of this stuff and still Mm -hmm. feeling like shit. So my way of dealing with that has been to be very candid about it rather than just like showing off all of the meals that like I'm lucky enough to be eating at Nobu. Because like who needs that? Nobody needs that, but people do need to see somebody who looks like they have it all, you know, explain Mm -hmm. why it is that they don't. I think that people can tell when you're being genuine and honest too, and will be accepting of whatever your background is, because you don't choose how, what family you're born into, but I think it's what you do with it. That really is what matters to people. I do think there's something to growing, to being born into wealth, because then it's like, okay, well, what do I have to work toward? Or What am I, how do I validate myself? Because for so many people, at least in America, you validate yourself by working hard and then getting paid for it. Yeah. I don't know that I feel bad for uber wealthy people or wealthy people in general, but I'm like that kind of like, I do feel validated when I make money and when I'm compensated for my work and I feel like I did it myself. So you have to seek that validation elsewhere. You're right on the money. And again, like I have another (laughs) friend coming. Oh yeah. I didn't even realize what I was saying. Yes. Pun intended. There we go. One of my closest friends, who's also my ex-boyfriend comes from an exorbitantly wealthy family. We are at different levels of Mm -hmm. the 1% in terms of our families. Um, And also it's worth noting that my parents came from very middle class mm-hmm. backgrounds and worked for everything that they had. Like most. So Jews. in terms of growing up around yeah. right. And like growing up around a work ethic, my parents have worked 
so hard for everything they have. They've busted their ass. They don't like their job. They're extremely looking mm-hmm. forward to retirement. And so, and they own a family business. They work together as May well. May I ask what the business is? They're lawyers. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, you know, I've constantly been in a home where like, there's no line between, um, business and pleasure, like work comes home because my parents work together mm-hmm. and then they bring it home and mm-hmm. it, there's that. So it is worth noting that like, for as much as I am definitely somebody who's just, who's, who struggles with like, not necessarily needing the validation that money brings. I did grow up in a household where my parents are self-made. Whereas my ex grew up in a household where like the money is family money, like from generations. And there's so much of it. And I've noticed that it has absolutely impacted him and his siblings and kind of made them be like, well, like mm-hmm. what now? Like, it's obviously such a privilege to not have to work, but when you don't have to work, you're also not really forced to think about like what you're passionate about in life. And when you're not forced to think about what you're passionate about in life, you're not really forced to have a purpose. And then when you don't have a purpose, mm-hmm. you get depressed. And mm-hmm. so I do think that, you know, people are very quick to just be like, oh my God, like the uber wealthy are so lucky and they're so privileged. But I, I have multiple friends just because of my social circles, multiple friends were like billionaires with a B and they are all mm. miserable. The most anxious people I've ever met in my entire life, like cripplingly anxious. Some of them actually multiple work very hard. But it's interesting that my friends who are billionaires, some of them work harder than my friends who are millionaires who can kind of just like mm-hmm. post on the family money. I know that this conversation is no. like so wild, but like, I, I hope that like my point is like clear that like, there's a certain level, there are many levels mm-hmm. of uber wealth, but from what I've seen of the uber, uber, uber wealthy, like families that have private jets, those are people who are on so much medication, who are in and out of therapist's office, who, who are riddled with guilt about their families and, and, and just kind of about everything. And I don't think that's yeah, a coincidence. I think you're onto something. Oh, it's certainly not a coincidence. There's a direct yeah. correlation. Absolutely. Can we talk about yeah. your grandma really quickly? Speaking of family. So your grandma, Jean, yeah. is a big part of your podcast your social media, and I assume your life outside of all of that. Is she on your mom's (laughs) side or your dad's side? So that's my mom's mom. And she's also my last remaining grandparent. And a fun fact about Jean, Jean grew up in, um, was it North Carolina? No, I think it was South Carolina in the middle of nowhere in a town that is so irrelevant. It's not even on the map. And she converted to Judaism when she met my mom's dad, who was her first husband. So Jean, despite being so Jewish in her neuroses and her complaints and in her just being overbearing, her fears, the whole thing is actually not a born and raised wow. Jew. Yeah, she's a she's a country bumpkin who made herself over into a <laughs> That's like an inspirational story. Literally. I want to know everything about her life (laughs) and her journey to Judaism and to New York City. (laughs) (laughs) She should be on the podcast. So (laughs) she is, we've recorded a 90 minute episode. So that's coming out soon. I've been sitting on that episode for so long. Like the microphones weren't as good Mm. as they like should have been. And also like I, it's just been exhausting to think about like going in and having to edit and whatever. But I did interview her like about her life. It was really interesting. Where does she live now? 
Where Greenwich Village. Riverdale. Greenwich Village. <laughs> Guys, she lives on oh, the Upper duh. East Side. I really fucked that up. I was going to say Upper West Side, side. but then, okay, yeah, you're that right. Been, that would have been, that would have been close enough. She's, she's very open-minded to living on the Upper West Side, but she only wants to be by Lincoln's. <laughs> oh my God, that's so fucking chic. I literally she wish I was your so grandma. Chic. She is so chic. Um, she's definitely starting to lose her marbles a little bit. She's 86, yeah. to be expected. Um, but every time I see her, like, my brother and I go to her apartment and just, like, t- get takeout and, like, eat with her. Always has a full face of makeup on. The hair is mm-hmm. always blown out. She's always wearing, like, a sweater <laughs> set. Like, Bulls. I mean, uh, that is not how my brother and I are, like, rocking up to her <laughs> apartment. And she, like, is fully making it up, but she's having a hard time seeing now. So what's been happening is that she's been doing her eyebrows, but with lip oh, pencil. No. Oh no. So I've <laughs> busted her with hot pink eyebrows on multiple occasions. And I was like, listen, if you were like a punk in Bushwick, this would be so lit. But like, that's not your energy. And we need to make sure that this doesn't happen again. And it's been happening very frequently. But I think that this should be like her new signature. Her eyebrows now match like this. That's very trendy. Very cute. Kind of into it. She's a trailblazer. Did she get vaccinated? Yes, she just did. She just got vaccinated. Except now I'm like a little bit afraid that like she's going to kind of take that to the next level and be like, she's already talking about like all the things that she wants to do because she's vaccinated. Oh, I'm vaccinated. (laughs) I'm vaccinated. I was like, that doesn't mean coronavirus is gone. There's also like a new strain and like the air is just like disease riddled right now, Jean. Like you can't just do whatever you want because you have a vaccine. But I am happy that she has it because it's taken a lot of stress away. Oh, for sure. Such a relief. It's such a blessing. Yeah. yeah, huge. Do you, I feel like you are super open with your grandma. Like, is there any ever like awkwardness or any like things that you don't want to talk about? Or has it always just been everything on the table since you were little? So my grandma and I have always had a really special bond. I'm actually working on um, like a collection of essays and a TV pilot about our mm-hmm. relationship. What makes my relationship with my grandma work is actually the fact that we're so different. I think in a lot of ways, my grandma has lived vicariously through me. Um, When my grandma was young, she was a model. She was like Mm -hmm. absolutely stunning. But what she really wanted to be was an opera singer. And she just had really Mm -hmm. bad stage fright. She had a beautiful voice, but she had really terrible stage fright. She was very, very shy. She was also raised to believe that like, you know, you go, you find a husband, you have kids with a white picket fence. Um, And she was stuck in a bad marriage with my mom's dad for a lot of years. And so I think that me being so, as one can tell from five seconds on my Instagram page, um, like (laughs) loud and proud and open and vivacious and just like, I don't give a fuck. I'm not following the rules. I do think that my grandma has seen um, something in me that like really strikes a chord with her, but she wasn't born in the right place and the right time to mm-hmm. pursue it, if that makes sense. Yeah. But something that people don't realize is everyone's always like, oh my God, your grandma's such a badass. And I'm like, actually, my grandma's like a pretty conservative woman who very much adheres to the rules of what it means to be ladylike. I am the only person who can get away with acting the way that I act around her. And she's like, she loves it and is like obsessed with it. If anybody else did that, if I brought a friend home who acted the way that I act in front of her, my grandma would be like, she's trash. Like, don't bring her around again. Like, like I am the only person who can get away with this stuff. And so that's why our videos work the way that they do, because I just, I know how to push her buttons 
so perfectly to like get the response that mm-hmm. I'm looking for. But if you met my grandma, she would come, she'd be much more conservative that, than you would expect mm-hmm. her to be. But I do think that that kind of soul connection between the two of us is why I've always felt so comfortable, like letting it all hang out around her and just like being the most unfiltered version of myself. That's beautiful. Yeah. Genuinely. I think that's so nice that you have both been able to like give each other a gift in a way. Yeah. I feel mm-hmm. very lucky. Despite the very significant age difference. Well, that's the thing. And that's actually why I've been motivated to create work around our relationship is because you rarely, rarely see stories of women actually being friends mm-hmm. with their grandma. Forget women, like any person of our generation and especially like our brother's generation, JC, like they have nothing in common with their grandparents, like nothing, unless they happen to have a really cool grandparent who's like amazing with technology or like the young person happens to be a really old soul. It's very rare to see um, this huge age gap, but being able to find the, the commonalities mm-hmm there. And I'm really motivated by the idea of making work that is not only funny and appealing and like heartwarming to multiple generations, but actually encourages young people and grandparents to try to get to know each other better after Mm -hmm. watching it. Because I've gotten a lot of feedback that's like, you know, my grandparents have died and watching your videos, um, like really makes me miss my grandma. Like you're so lucky to have what you have. And those, those comments Mm -hmm. move me to tears. Like those are just such beautiful things to hear and really make me feel validated. But I also want to go one step further. And for people who are lucky enough to still have grandparents who are living, even if they're, you know, in assisted care facilities, I would love to make something that encourages people our age to actually like reach out to their grandparents and be like, let's try to have conversations about things that we've never talked about before. Let's talk about your stance on mm-hmm. life and love and and not just kind of like, you know, I send you $100 <laughs> for Hanukkah and like we talk about whether or not I have a boyfriend and like that's it, you know, because there is so much more. I love there. that. I love that so much. So have fun. you read <laughs> Nobody Will Tell You This But Me by Bess Kalb? You have no, to read it. It's a book about this woman, she's a writer. She worked on, I think, Kimmel for a while about her relationship with her mm-hmm. grandmother. She's from New York. Her grandma's like a, probably somewhat similar to your grandmother, but it's told from the perspective of her her dead bubby, basically. It's been very hard for me to find um, inspiration or like other works that I can like reference or learn from while doing this project because you just Mm -hmm. a very rare story so I've just been watching like have you guys ever seen the Kaminsky no I haven't you know what I have not oh you guys are terrible (laughs) I know amazing it's like Jewish geriatric broad city with men (laughs) it's hilarious I feel like it's like Like, Grace and Frankie but like for boys it is so first I watched Kaminsky Method then I watched Grace (laughs) and Frankie but like again these are just they're both shows that only feature old people and are only kind of talking about issues that happen when you get older like there's a lack of young people but oh my god okay I will read the book that you recommended but you have to watch Kaminsky Method I will it's like so uplifting it's so fun like it really is just it's a great 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 watch and then before we let you go i have two questions um yeah i need to know what your eyebrow regimen is because they're fucking we want to ask you about eyebrow lamination <laughs> i've never done it because if i did eyebrow lamination i would fully look like a drag queen <laughs> like that that like can't happen it would it would be bananas and nobody would look me in the eye so my eyebrow regimen this is god's honest truth 
I, people love my eyebrows now. Like I do get a lot of compliments on them, but I was bullied for them for so many years that like, I've now, I've now come to love them because other people love them. But it's like we were saying before, the stuff that happens to you when you're young sticks mm-hmm. for the rest of your life. So for me, like I still see them as like a nuisance, but <laughs> fun fact, no brow gels are strong wow. enough for me. I've tried oh, like neither. every but brow gel. But yours are way thicker than mine, so I can't even... Imagine. So there's two, two solutions. First of all, I only get them waxed like once every three months. And that's like right now, like I really need to get, they're like uneven and they're just like huge. Like I really need to like get them waxed right now. But my routine is either there's this like thing. It's this like adhesive glue, essentially. It's called model in a bottle. Dumbest <laughs> name on planet earth. It's on Amazon, which I don't normally encourage shopping on, but in this case you have to. And it's like this little bottle of like glue. It smells like carcinogens. You're like, this is going to make me sick, but it comes with like a little, almost like eyebrow brush in it. And then you like brush it into your eyebrows and it just holds Ooh, it in place, it like until you wash it off. If I don't have that, I will also spray hairspray onto an eyebrow brush and then spray that into or Mm. brush that into my eyebrows because that's the only thing that really like holds them up. Like boy brow. First of all, I use boy brow. That's the only product that works for me. But I do think it depends on like how oily your skin and your hair is and your skin tone and all of those things. Like it has to be the right. It's like crusty, but oh like thin. It's I don't wax. Like, it. like I have a problem with the, the wax and I use the clear one, but oh, yeah, like I when I put it in my eyebrows, A, like I like, I like see the wax, but B, it's just like, maybe it's because my eyebrows are just so huge, but like it actually doesn't that, hold my uh, eyebrows yeah. in place. My I see like that. Fall. I bought got to be gel, like hair gel <laughs> yeah. from, I mean, someone on Stop. TikTok told me to do it and I I'm brushed it into my eyebrows and they just like spiked up and it looked so <laughs> fucking ridiculous. I like kind of liked it, but I need to like trim yeah. them to make it look acceptable, but I'm willing to try really again. Want- Every cast member of Love Island has done brow lamination. So if you guys are interested in lam- brow lamination, like there's a huge genre of people who are doing that. And like the results do look pretty good, but you you have to want a permanent like, like. I don't know if I'm ready to huge commit to look. It is, it is a statement. And I honestly, like if I were to do that ever for whatever reason, I would probably stop wearing makeup altogether. Because All it brow. would just be like such a statement it would like take up your entire head my entire face like I would have no forehead like they'd like go up to here and I would have to be like okay like lip balm and nothing have you guys seen that girl she's like a model I guess who has the huge unibrow I have seen her what are your thoughts I guess um yeah body positivity like a woman's right to choose like like, totally you have a right to choose but like you don't need to be famous for it that's yeah I don't I don't know I I, but I just think that honestly like I'm supportive of if she's genuinely confident looking like that like I'm 100 Mm -hmm. about it but I do think that the fascination with her has so much to do with like social media's obsession with extremes like I think that like everything we're seeing on social media is all about Mm -hmm. shock value it's all about extremes it's all about like who can like Mm one-up your neighbor and like that that is like shock value at its finest and also it's like you know everyone's obsessed with eyebrows right now that's like taking like the obsession with like eyebrow and eyebrow care and big eyebrows just Mm -hmm. like another level to me I really think that that wouldn't work as well if Instagram wasn't a thing oh completely for me I'm just like 
why do I care? Why yeah. is this on my page? <laughs> like, do, yeah. do you, but like, okay, I don't need to see You it. have to press the little like dots at the top and then just be like this content. I do that relevant. all the time. I do oh, that I, all absolutely. the time. I do That's that all my, the time too. My Instagram, Instagram is just purge. all food stuff now and I'm completely happy with it. <laughs> That's like the main reason I Good. have it. That's Thank really you. happy. Thank you. Like food and puppies, <laughs> like it's so annoying with the algorithm. Like I'm really into like 90s fashion and like tabloid trash. And me so, too. Like, oh my god, I be with on, you like, and like. Oh my god! Like my entire explore page is like Heidi Montag <laughs> after she got Mine her too. like 12 surgeries. Like Mine every too. day I log on and it's just like Heidi Montag fan page. I was like, God forbid anyone ever just like look at my phone and like open up Instagram. They're gonna be like, Is this bitch planning on getting like 15 plastic surgery procedures? Like someone will stage an intervention with me if they see my explore page because it really is not disturbing. No, truly, Sam. And like speaking of Heidi Montag, I'm not even gonna lie. From time to time, I go onto YouTube just to watch her old music videos because they bring. Me yeah. so much joy. I was never team Heidi. Body language is a banger. I know. Oh my god. Okay, I wasn't team Heidi either. But you have to respect that. Like body language is honestly like if that song was made by somebody else, it probably would have been much bigger than it was. The same way that like Paris Hilton's "Stars Are Blind." I mean, Paris. Taken- that whole album is kind of like. It's fire. Class. And think about it this way. Like, think about the way that she sings. If that album was Gwen Stefani's album, it would have That's been like a very good point. One. Stars are blind. If that was Gwen Stefani's song, everybody would have loved it. It was just that like nobody was taking Paris Hilton seriously. <laughs> so it is really interesting to think about all these like socialite women who like made music where you're like, this is kind of like good party <laughs> music. It just like came from I mean, even like it. Paris's second iteration of her music, like Good Time featuring Lil Wayne is a fucking how- banger. Wait, is it? I don't know that I've listened I'll to that. that okay, my senior year of college, I would listen to it on repeat. Like I would only take shots to Good Time because it's just like, it's so excellent. I'll make sure you also have the link to Good Time after this. But lastly, t- Allie, tell us where we could find you yeah. on social. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. So recently changed my handle on Instagram. I am now Allie Weiss World. That is also my handle on TikTok and Twitter. My website is AllieWeissWorld.com. Um, but the best way to reach me is honestly by like carrier pigeon, <laughs> like write a letter, tie it to a pigeon's foot, send it in my direction. Cause I'm sent so to the Greenwich Village. Bring your name in Greenwich Village right. and like 20 Alley Weisses will come running out. <laughs> Truly. They'll all come running out. It's going to be like, will the real some shady please stand up? And then like, I'll come running out and I'll be like, oh, you just need to sit the fuck down. Cause we know who this person is looking for. There's only one of me, even though there's actually 70 million <laughs> Allie Weisses. And I get into my parents about that all the time. I'm like, you guys are original people. You have really original kids. Like, why is my name Allison Weiss? No, are you you're serious? lucky though, because if you Google Allie Weiss, well, I guess you would probably come up because you have a presence on the internet, but like a lot of other people will also come up. Like if you Google JC Naccarella and you're trying to find yeah. it, like you will find it in one second because I you cannot be anonymous. I love that. Unfortunately, I guess it's fortunately, but like I am now the first person who comes up as Allie Weiss, like just because That's of like great. Congratulations. Stuff, which is great for work purposes, but is terrible for anonymity. But also like, I choose to exploit myself in certain ways on the internet. So like, I can't get mad if like a guy I've been out on a couple dates with like <laughs> on me, you know, but like you just, you just have to like lean into it. Like, I think the fact that you have like an original name is like your name's memorable. Nobody remembers Allie Weiss. That's just like, ugh, it's awful. I mean, I'll <laughs> take it. And that is true. So <laughs> Allie, thank, thank you so much. You. This was so fun. Thanks.
for having me, guys. This was a blast and a half. Truly. Thanks for joining us, Allie. You can follow her on Instagram and Twitter at Allie Weiss World. That's A-L-I. If you're a fan of the show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or listen for free on Spotify. And don't forget to rate and review us. You can leave us a nice little comment or a not nice little comment. We are open to any and all feedback. If you want to support the show financially, go to anchor.fm slash pray for us slash support. We love money. Follow us on Insta at pray for us pod. And if you feel like it, send us a note at pray for us pod at gmail.com. Shabbat shalom. This podcast has been mastered and mixed by the one and only Josh Fisher. Yay, Josh. We love you, Josh. <laughs>